Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! Hello and welcome to the Fun Kids Bookworms podcast. My name is Bex and I love books. And that's lucky because on the way today I am talking to a lot of brilliant authors including Alistair Beckett-King, Rian Tracy and we'll be hearing from Natasha Farrant. So first, let's kick it off with Alistair Beckett-King and illustrator Claire Powell. They're going to tell us all about their brand new book, Montgomery Bonbon, Murder at the Museum. I am joined right now on Fun Kids by Alistair Beckett-King and Claire Powell, who together have created a rather marvellous and very funny book, Montgomery Bonbon, Murder at the Museum. Uh, Hello, Alistair. Hello, Claire, and welcome to the show. Hello, Bex. Thank you for having me. Hello, Bex. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Now, um, I've read your book, guys, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've really, really loved hearing the story of Montgomery Bonbon, who is never seen in the same room as Bonnie Montgomery. Uh, Alistair, can you tell me a little bit about your lead character? Yes. Well, Bonnie is a 10-year-old girl uh, who's brilliant at solving mysteries. But uh, as you and I both know, 10-year-olds generally aren't allowed to solve murders. Mm. And um, the ingenious solution that Bonnie has come up with is that she puts on a beret and a raincoat and a huge bristly moustache, and she becomes Montgomery Bonbon, who is a distinguished foreign detective. uh, But nobody's quite sure what country he's supposed to be from. Yeah, I did love um, the the phrases and the accents varying a, li- a little bit through the book on purpose. Obviously, that's the whole point. Uh, were you, would we say inspired by Poirot, perhaps? <laughs> oh, certainly. I'm I'm a huge fan of especially David Suchet's Poirot. Um, I think he's wonderful. Um, but uh, but Bonnie's grasp of uh, French is not that strong, so she slides into German and Italian every so often. I did notice a few little German notes in there as well, but I loved it. Hey, man, I was very, very happy to see uh, Montgomery kind of travel the world a little bit there. And uh, tell me, Claire, what was your inspiration for for drawing her? Well, that was interesting, actually, because as soon as I read the manuscript, I had an impression of her almost instantly in my head. And I actually sketched her um both Bonnie and Montgomery Bonbon because obviously there's two characters for me to draw um but I did it one evening watching the television and I both characters came out in about five minutes so um I sort of took that as a sign that maybe these characters were already living somewhere within my head and they just sort of needed a story to to bring them to life. So yeah, that was um, really great because sometimes characters can take a long time, but in this case, they didn't. Which is very, very handy indeed, I imagine. Now, Alistair, tell me, we uh, we meet your your character and her granddad and they are in the middle, literally, literally straight away, like something exciting happens, uh, which means we are reading the book and we are in it. We are on the go. Um, and this isn't the first case that she has solved. You give us little snippets here and there of little mysteries that... Uh, Montgomery, aka Bonnie, has also been involved in. Yes, that's right. I'm I'm very impatient when I watch uh, or read a mystery because um, you know at the start there's just loads of rich people in a country house and I just can't wait for one of them to die. I'm like, come on, get on with it. <laughs> and so so the murder happens in in chapter one. There's there's no messing around and uh, straight in straight away somebody has di- has died. Um, so Grandpa Banks and uh, and Bonnie are in the the Hornville Museum which is a big creaky old museum 
full of bones and dinosaur skins and that sort of thing. And then the lights go out, and there's a scream upstairs. And uh, Bonnie quickly finds out that uh, a valuable artifact, the Widlington Eagle, has been stolen. So she and Grandpa Banks, well, she quickly turns into Montgomery Bon Bon, and they make their way upstairs to try to... uh, to solve the case. And she's lucky that her grandpa is is pretty receptive to all of um, Montgomery's quirks, should we say, and plans, and kind of just goes along with her and just like, yeah, we know we've solved mysteries before, let's do it again. Yeah, Grandpa Max is my favourite character because he's super supportive of, uh, of of Bonnie when he's a grandpa, and when, when she's Montgomery Bon Bon, he's just Banks, the detective's assistant, and he's, uh, he's the, a loyal detective's assistant. And he does what he's told. He takes photographs of the crime scene and he he tries to help and usually makes things slightly worse. (laughs) So when you were plotting this, did you know in advance like who the murderer was going to be and and what the way of the mystery was going to work? Or did you write it and just see where it went to? I I would be so good to just find out at the end yourself when you're (laughs) writing it. That'd be great. I wonder who did this. Oh, my goodness, it was that person. Um, But no, I had to, I I planned it. And of course, all good plans go wrong. So the the original plan changed and changed in the process of writing it. But I planned very, very hard, just not very, very well. Well, still your plan. That's the important thing, right? Yeah, you just need to have a plan. It doesn't need to be a good plan, as as Bonnie demonstrates during the book on several occasions. Absolutely. She still gets there in the end. But uh, tell me, Claire, speaking of plans, I mean, we are greeted at the opening of the book with a brilliant plan of the museum. And we've got pictures of all of the characters as well. Again, did they come to you as quickly as Montgomery did or were you just taking a lot of time over this? No, I think the other ones, some of them took a bit longer. Um, I think I spent quite a long time on Inspector Sands. I felt that I had to get her just right. Um, So she probably took the longest. And then it also took me quite a long time to get the candle sort of shape in the character whose name is Anton Price um, and he was described very well by Alistair as a melting candle um, and that took me quite a while to figure out how to do that um, but yeah the other ones actually Rashida was somebody that um, we went back and forth on actually myself and the designer Jamie trying to get that look right so yeah I think um, Bonnie and Montgomery Bonbon came easily but the others I probably spent two or three days on it's a really funny book. I did really enjoy it. And I love the fact that the illustrations match the writing um, in Sense of Humour. Uh, Alistair, is it hard to make a book funny? Or I guess as a comedian, it, does it just come naturally to you? I would love to say it was easy. Um, but, uh, well, I, I, you know, I'm a stand-up comedian, but that's that's very hard work as well. Um, it is, I find, I find writing extremely hard. I'm very slow at it. I feel very lazy all the time. I think one of the, the good things about writing like a funny mystery is one of the easy ways to be funny is to try to be serious and fail. And of course, murder is a very serious business and mysteries are often very, very serious. And so trying to take the serious bit seriously and then, and then break out into something very, very silly is a, is a good way of um, finding jokes as you go. Uh, the example you mentioned before, whenever Bonnie's previous cases come up, I can come up with a, an absolutely ludicrous previous case that might be too silly if it were what the book was about, but I can still you know, th- throw that in like uh, an international owl smuggling ring 
can make an appearance but not actually be part of the story. I mean, some of the stories that were mentioned, I was like, I want, I want this one as well, please. I want, <laughs> I want this backstory because I'm pretty sure there is a, a pretty impressive uh, backstory to our uh, Montgomery going on there. And um, am I right in thinking there are more stories still to come, though? That's right. I think I slipped up earlier and said books instead of book um, because there will be a, there will be another Montgomery Bonbon mystery coming out later this year. And uh, all I all I know about that one is that there is a lighthouse and uh, a smuggler and an onion ring. <laughs> All right. Okay. I'll look out for it now. Um, I really did love this book, guys. Um, it's going to be my fun kids book of the month. Um, it was uh, such a fun read. Really enjoyed it. Uh, you kept me guessing. I'm very bad at guessing uh, <laughs> murder mystery plots anyway, but this really was exciting. Um, and what we do with every brand new author to Fun Kids is we play a little game, uh, a kind of this or that quick fire round of questions. So first up, um, Alistair, books or Kindles? Books, please. Books. Uh, Claire, books or Kindles? Books. Everybody says books. I need to retire that question. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> Alistair, film adaptation or TV adaptation? Oh, I think for a murder mystery, I think it's TV adaptation. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. uh, interesting. Claire, Octopants or Wizard in My Shed? Oh, that's really tough. Mm. Oh, I think Octo Pants. I've got a soft spot for Octo. We should we should say to all of the listeners, of course, you also did the illustrations for those books as well. So people might recognise your pictures. Yes, that's true. I did. I did illustrate both of those. Yeah, Octo was actually, I think, one of my very first picture books that I ever illustrated. There we go. You see, I thought I'd, I'd give people some context. They might be like, oh yeah, how do I know this style of pictures from all of these brilliant books before? Um, Alistair, we've got writing or reading? Oh, reading is so much easier than writing. The story's already done for you. I can't, it's, there's no no contest whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, Claire, how about you? Would you prefer drawing or reading? Oh, I think I'd have to say drawing. Reading does come a close second, but I think for me it's drawing. This one's for Alistair. Agatha Christie or Arthur Conan Doyle? Oh, well, uh, mm, I actually think it might be Arthur Conan Doyle, which is which is very wrong because this book is more of an Agatha Christie type mystery. But I think I, I, think I like Sherlock Holmes quite a lot. Oh, dear. You know, oh. go with your heart. That's all right. That's not um, a very quick fire answer, is it? Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Honestly, sometimes the quick fire answers are longer than the actual interview. <laughs> um, I definitely made the noise, ah, more than you would want in a quick fire round. <laughs> Claire, laptop or write by hand or draw by hand, I guess? Oh, definitely draw or write by hand. Oh, Alistair, same question for you. Oh, I, I hate to write by hand. I do like to, I like to draw. I draw a lot. Um, and I do that by hand because it's easier than using feet or anything, or anything else. <laughs> Um, but no, uh, my handwriting is terrible, so I type everything. Okay. Uh, right, we've got, uh, yeah, Alistair, do you write nine to five or do you write whenever you fancy? Well, I'm a stand-up comedian, so I work very weird hours, so I, I write whenever I can. I, I'm not a strict sticker to schedules. You're not there in the office. Uh, and how about you, Claire? Do you work nine to five or whenever you, you want to go and work? It's probably more like six to eight. <laughs> Wow. drawings take a long time yeah um so my days tend to be a little long and, and I do try and have a routine um I'm more of a I'm probably opposite to Alistair I'm more of a morning person than a night owl yeah six in the morning man that's I didn't even know that existed that's far too early for me oh my goodness Alistair writing comedy or writing books oh well they're not that different there's jokes in the books I think it's I think it's the, it's the same isn't it I don't think it's that different I, oh, do I have to? Do I have to choose one? No, that's a, that's a really good answer. I'm going to let you have both. But oh, great! The, yes. The next, the next one you cannot. Uh, the next one is for both of you. Uh, uh, Claire, you can go first. Paddington Bear or Winnie the Pooh? 
Winnie the Pooh. Love Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I actually wrote an essay on Winnie the Pooh when I was at college um, and everybody laughed at me because they'd all um, chosen like things like Picasso and I wrote an essay on Winnie the Pooh in my art foundation. I thought it was brilliant, but it it got a lot of laughs, which actually wasn't the intention. (laughs) I think that was a great choice. Uh, Alistair, how about you, Paddington or Winnie the Pooh? Well, I'm I'm going to have to go with Paddington because I remember the brilliant stop motion animated version of yeah. Paddington, where Paddington was a, 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 a like a three dimensional bear, but all the other characters were inked on cardboard. Which is I love I love mixed media animation, so that's why I'm going with Paddington. That's a great answer. The next question I've got in the quickfire round, uh, Alistair, you can go first. It is pretty simple: Hogwarts or Narnia? Narnia. Straight away. Claire, how about you? Hogwarts or Narnia? Ooh, I think Narnia. Yeah, I think Narnia because it's from childhood. So yeah, Narnia. A double Narnia answer. Okay. And finally, the last one, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. This is the most important one. You could literally say anything for any other question and I wouldn't care, but this is the one I will judge you on. So here we go. Uh, Claire, you can go first. Salt and vinegar or cheese and onion? Salt and vinegar. I'm not going to tell you what I feel about each answer until Alistair said his. Alistair, salt and vinegar or cheese and onion? I mean, Bex is obviously furious, but I'm going to make that even worse by saying salt and vinegar, of course. The correct <laughs> yes, answer. Salt and vinegar. Correct answer. Oh, Yay! it is the correct answer. Yes. I didn't want to I didn't want to make a big deal when you said salt and vinegar, Claire. I didn't want to make a big deal of it because I thought then I'll give it away. But I was trying to do my stern voice. You covered it up so well. I really <laughs> thought stern. you hated salt and vinegar when you when you got when you answered that. Wow! I was actually a little bit scared that I'd, I'd yeah that I'll never be invited back ever because I gave the wrong answer. But I'm glad to hear I gave the right answer. Honestly, no, salt and vinegar is the correct answer. If you say cheese and onion, I just stop the interview immediately and just delete you. So <laughs> well done. <laughs> You absolutely smashed it. Um, Well, guys, thank you so much for telling us all about uh, the brand new book, Murder at the Museum. I believe it came out um, earlier this month, but hopefully, I'm assuming we'll see you in the studio for the next one. We can chat about more uh, Montgomery Bonbon mysteries. And uh, Alistair, Claire, thank you so much for chatting to us. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me on. Thank you. Thank you. So another author I had the pleasure of talking to recently was Rian Tracy. Now she has got a brand new book out called I Spy, a Bletchley Park mystery. And it's a really cool book. I really enjoyed this one. Rian delves into the historical background of Bletchley Park and about some code breaking as well. So let's find out more. Hello, everyone. I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading! So I'm joined right now by Rian Tracy, uh, the author of I Spy, a Bletchley Park Mystery. How are you doing? Really well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to have you on, Fun Kids, um, because your book is, uh, it's very readable, Rian. It's very, oh my goodness, it was really, really like, I just wanted to get to the end of it to find out what was happening. Um, <laughs> but before we get into that, we've got, uh, we've got to tell our listeners it's set in a place called Bletchley Park. Can you tell us, if we don't know what it is, what Bletchley Park is and was? Absolutely. So Bletchley Park was one of the most secret places in Britain during the war. Um, Originally, it was a mansion owned by a family and then um, it was bought 
as a place to conduct covert operations such as code breaking um, and very famous people ended up working there very clever people lots and lots of women who were recruited um, from all over Britain and eventually um, the team there cracked a code the enigma code which is believed to have shortened world war ii by two years so such an important place uh for world war ii absolutely and uh in your story we meet robin who lives basically in in bletchley in the area right Yes. So when I was doing my research, I um, came across the fact that there was a child living on site in Bletchley Park, which was really unusual. Um, it was a, a place peopled by adults. But the um, the original chauffeur who lived there had four children. And when Bletchley Park was taken over um, for war work, the, the children weren't allowed off site. They had to stay on Bletchley Park because the adults didn't feel that they could trust the children to, to go to school um, and were worried that they would blab. So this gave me a great idea about building a whole story around a child at Bletchley rather than the adults. And pretty early on in the story, this isn't really a spoiler, uh, Robin, our, our character, has to sign a kind of official secrets act, which is quite a scary thing to do for a kid or for an adult even. Absolutely, yes. This was a terrifying document um, which everybody had to sign if they were working at Bletchley Park. And sometimes you had to sign it more than once um, if you went off to do something else and then came back. So um, my great aunt who worked at Bletchley Park during the war, she had to sign this um, document when she was only 17. And essentially you were promising that you wouldn't speak about your war work, you wouldn't speak about what happened at Bletchley Park ever for the rest of your life. And if you did, you could possibly be sent to prison, you could be shot by a firing squad. Um, it was just so important that people didn't speak about it, um, that it was that serious, you know, it, it could cost you your life. So I'm guessing uh, if your great auntie worked there, you must have had inspiration from her, but also she probably kept a lot of secrets, so you didn't know a lot of stuff about it from her. Absolutely. We didn't know anything about it until um, she was out for Sunday lunch with uh, her daughter and her granddaughter and um, various other family members. And somebody was talking about Bletchley Park and uh, Audrey uh, stood up and announced that she had worked at Bletchley Park and that they'd got something wrong. Um, and it was the first anyone had heard of it. It was a real shock to the family. Wow. Um, and she had signed the Official Secrets Act. And even in the 70s, when um, people were allowed to start talking about it, a lot of women and men didn't. They they really did take it very seriously. She didn't ever tell her husband about it, so he never knew. Um, and over the years, various small little secrets trickled out. So we got a, a clearer picture of what she did, um, which was uh, stripping Japanese codes. So, um, you know, unraveling the codes in Japanese and translating them into something understandable in English. Oh, man, it's an incredible thing. And so you must have had to do a lot of research then to get Robin's story factually correct. Absolutely. Yes. Years of research. Um, so probably started brimming in my head when my daughter was in year six and she's now in year 11. Um, I went as a, a parent helper to Bletchley Park and was just bombarded by ideas. I carried my notebook around whilst trying to headcount various children, <laughs> okay. make sure no one fell in the lake um, <laughs> while I was inspired, which the kids thought was very funny. Um, so yes, I, I 
took my research really seriously and I was really lucky um, that Bletchley Park assisted me. They they were wonderful. The historical team there and the archivists um, helped me even during lockdown. They were still in contact with me, making sure that, you know, I was getting things right. And if I was uh, kind of being creative around some of the, the timelines that, you know, it would still all make sense. Um, so, yes, I've had huge support from Bletchley and um, and the Arts Council as well, who gave me a grant to write the book, which landed in my lap right at the start of lockdown. So um, yeah, it was a very strange time, actually, to be sort of cooped up in my house, not allowed anywhere with my children, um, not knowing what on earth was going on in the world whilst writing about a girl cooped up at Bletchley Park, not allowed off-site, not allowed outside, (laughs) not knowing what was going on in her world either. It was very bizarre timing. And so in the book, you've got Robin, you've got her friend uh, Mary, who's an evacuee from Liverpool, and you've got her friend Ned. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit, I mean, I know I don't want to ruin it for people, but a little bit about what they get up to in the book. What's 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 the gist of it for them? Okay, so Robin's a nosy Parker, and she is in this place where lots of interesting things are happening, and she thinks that she's going to be on her own. But um, Mary, who's evacuated to Bletchley, has kind of um, got herself a job in Bletchley Park as a messenger girl, which really did happen. There were sort of 13, 14-year-old girls on bicycles riding all around the park, delivering very important mail. So Mary has access to lots of different things although she would never um and then ned is there because his father's the undertaker so in order to build the huts for the ever-growing staff most carpenters were off at war so they uh at bletchley they asked undertakers to come in and help construct huts and um this is what Ned does. He comes in with his father and he, he helps build the huts. And obviously, three children notice they are the only children there. They gravitate towards each other. They become friends. And Mary and Robin were friends at school before. And Robin's met this very unpleasant man at uh, Bletchley who seems to think he runs the place and absolutely does not like children. Um, he would happily have them all escorted off site permanently. And she starts to sort of notice that he's up to things. He's being very covert and very sneaky. And the three children start taking an interest in what he's up to and uncover a whole world of double crossing and double agents and spies and codes and secrets that um, they really should have kept far, far away from because it's quite dangerous. Oh man, it's exactly what you want from a Bletchley Park mystery, isn't it? We have to mention the pigeons as well because, uh, as you as you know, I love pigeons. My uncle keeps them and races them, and I was thrilled to read that you focus so much on pigeons in the book as well. Did you have to research that too? Absolutely. So if you uh, go to Bletchley Park in one of the huts, there's a big room dedicated to pigeons and the role they played during World War Two, but particularly the role they played locally and at Bletchley. Um, so I've always loved birds and animals. I find them really interesting. And I assumed that most people knew about pigeons uh, and their role during the war, but it turns out not that many people do anymore. So the pigeons were used as carrier pigeons um, so that they would be uh, taken by an agent, um, flown with the agent, dropped um, behind enemy lines to receive a message, and then they would fly back to their pigeon loft. Um, and so there was a pigeon loft at Bletchley, um, although there's not much known about the role uh, Bletchley and pigeons played during the war. But um, they did know that pigeons were taken to and 
came from um, Sandringham, which is one of the royal palaces and uh, the royal family. So our late queen, when she was a princess, uh, she and her sister, Margaret Rose, were very interested in pigeons and had their own pigeon loft, as did the then king, George VI. And um, the family were, were very supportive of pigeons in their role during the war. Um, so, yeah, they were vital. We we couldn't have done without them. See, I love that so much. I'll have to tell my uncle. He'll be thrilled to hear that pigeons are getting a renaissance. He'll be very, very happy yeah. about this. <laughs> now, before I let you go, we do a thing with every author on Fun Kids. It's like a quick fire round of questions, a kind of this or that. I wondered if we could play that with you right now, if that's all right. Absolutely. Okay, brilliant stuff. Okay, first up, books or Kindles? Oh, books. Always books. <laughs> Heroes or villains? <gasps> oh, you've got to have a good villain and I've got a great villain in I Spy. <laughs> Well, that's a good little plug. I like that. Uh, film adaptation or TV adaptation? Ooh, TV, because I, I have a low attention span, so sometimes films are too long. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fair enough. Pigeons or dogs? Oh, dogs. I've got to pick dogs. My my dog is my life. I love my dogs. <laughs> beginnings or endings? Beginnings. Definitely beginnings, because that's what draws you in in the first place. Writing or teaching? Oh, that's a hard one. Well, my week is split, so I'm 50-50. Oh, I I can't choose. I'll I'll give you that one. That's all right. I'll let you off with that one. Um, (laughs) Hogwarts or Narnia? Hogwarts. I'm a a big Harry Potter fan. Laptop or write by hand? Write by hand, definitely. Although I did write a whole book by hand once and regretted it because obviously I had to type it up. But yeah, I love taking my notebook out and making notes. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Very few people say that. That's interesting. Mm. Cracking codes or making puzzles? Cracking codes. I'm so nosy. (laughs) I love cracking codes and understanding things and finding out secrets. (laughs) Paddington Bear or Winnie the Pooh? Paddington. Marmalade sandwiches. You just, you can't not have those in your life. Finally, the big one, salt and vinegar or cheese and onion? Oh, salt and vinegar. And I have a a hit list of the best salt and vinegar crisps. I have sampled them all. (laughs) McCoy's, McCoy's, although others are available. (laughs) My favourites. Goodness, you're my kind of author. Yeah, you know what? Salt and vinegar is, I don't mind whatever you say for the rest of them, but salt and vinegar is the one I care about the most. Um, Absolutely. So you've passed my my secret hidden test. Um, Oh, thank goodness. Rianne, thank you so much for telling us all about I Spy. And can we uh, expect maybe some other books in the series as well? Well, it does say on the cover, a Bletchley Park mystery, which suggests there are more mysteries to uncover. And I may be uncovering one right now. (laughs) Amazing. A brilliant book coming out at the moment is Call the Puffins, written by Kath Howe. Now, it's the first title in a brand new series about teamwork, belonging and resilience, plus, of course, some puffins. In it, you are welcome to the Island of Egg, where a group of young puffins are training to join a search and rescue team. So you meet Muffin, who is following in her dad's footsteps and anxious not to let him down. There's also Tiny, whose eyesight is a bit of a challenge, but won't stop him for long. And there's Forty, who seems very overconfident and is desperate to impress. So that's Call the Puffins by Kath Howe. It looks like it's going to be a brilliant series. Now, before we go, I have got a special voice note for us from Natasha Farrant. She's going to give us some detailed introductions and a little overview of The Rescue of Ravenwood, her brand new book. And we've got a reading as well. Hi, I'm Natasha Farrant, and I'm here to tell you about my new book, The Rescue of Ravenwood. This is the story of how three children... B, Raffi and Noah band together to save a very special place from being destroyed. Ravenwood is where B and Raffi live. It's an old house on the edge of a cliff, surrounded by woodland. But it's more than that. 
It's a pocket of wildlife full of ancient trees, birds, animals. It's a refuge, a sanctuary, a place where animals and humans can be safe. But now Ravenwood itself isn't safe. And since the grown-ups who live there aren't doing anything to save it, it's up to the children to save the day. The rescue of Ravenwood has stowaways on trains and swims with wild seals. It has a police chase and a fire, an old tree full of wild ancient magic and a Viking longboat. But most important of all, it has three determined heroes who will stop at nothing to get what they want and who in the process take control of their own future. My main inspiration for writing The Rescue of Ravenwood was my love of the natural world, of animals, trees, oceans, birds, and my anger at the way humans treat the planet. I wanted to write a book that expressed my love and anger, and also that showed that we can make things better just by looking after the living things and spaces that are precious to us. That was the starting point. Then, as always happens when you're writing a book, lots of other things came into play. So, for example, there was the time I accidentally swam with a seal in Cornwall. In the book, the character who swims with a seal has a lovely time, but I can assure you I wasn't nearly as brave as them. Seals are very big, close up, and much better in the water than humans. But still, I've never forgotten it. And then there was my friend's house in Cornwall, a magical place from which you walk through woods and scramble down a cliff to get to the sea. And there was a long, long journey I took with my family across France and Italy to Venice, from where we took the boat to Croatia. Lots of things, but that, at the heart of it, the desire to say how beautiful the world is, and how we must and can look after it. With a cry for courage, Noah threw herself into the water, gasping as the cold gripped her, and began to swim as fast as she could. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh! A strong swimmer, she soon settled into a rhythm, her body tingling, her lungs bursting, and again that bubbling joy, that lightness. When at last she was warm, she stopped to look behind her and saw with some surprise that she had come so far she could hardly see her pile of clothes on the beach. With a thrill of exhilaration, she turned back again to look at the open sea and saw that she was almost at the mouth of the cove. Noah was, on the whole, sensible. She knew she should go back in, at least to where she wasn't out of her depth. But it was so big here, so exactly the opposite of the past year she had spent skulking in corners of the playground and library at school, or shut into her room at the flat. Maybe she could just float a little longer, watching the ravens and gulls circle, be quiet and peaceful for a bit before... She sensed it before she saw it, something in the water with her, something big. Very slowly, hardly daring to look, Noah turned. There it was, just a few metres away, a mottled grey head, eyes like black marbles, huge silvery whiskers. A seal. A seal. Was it? Awesome stuff. Thank you so much to Alistair Beckett-King, Claire Powell, Rian Tracy, Natasha Farron, and of course, to you for listening as well. I'll be back soon with more brilliant books in my Bookworms podcast. In the meantime, like, subscribe, and follow us wherever it is you're listening to this. Bye. 
Hello everyone, I'm Cressida Cowell, author of How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm just popping in to tell you about my new book series, Which Way to Anywhere. It's a story about four children who discover that there are alternative worlds beyond our own, and that they can travel to them with the help of a magical map and a very special gift. Of course, this leads to epic, unexpected adventures. Which Way to Anywhere and its sequel, Which Way Round the Galaxy, are both available to buy now. Happy reading!